Welcome in. It's the Baltimore Ravens celebration party. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, drop the mic. I'm Mike Welch. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I, I will say this. Baltimore Ravens, big fan right now. I think everyone who's not a Patriots fan is a big Baltimore Ravens fan right now because ding dong, the witch is dead. I I didn't think the Patriots were going to go undefeated, but once you hit that 8-0 mark, I think you start to wonder. And if there's anyone that's going to go undefeated, I'd be fine with the 49ers. Wouldn't be fine with the Patriots. Why? Don't like them. Why? Jealousy. 100% jealousy. Don't care about the cheating. Oh, they took some filming and maybe deflated some footballs and... Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady's hair might not be real. <laughs> None of that matters to me, man. I just feel envious of the Patriots. I feel envious of Tom Brady. I feel envious of Bill Belichick. I even feel envious of their water boy. So, yeah, I don't like the Patriots. I like it when they lose. What of it? A lot to get to tonight. Uh, we're going to start this off, though, with a, a quick plug. I got to show up the comedy store, world famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Uh, I guess West Hollywood. But, uh, yeah, it's. Friday, December 6th, starting at 7 o'clock. Link for tickets is in the YouTube post. In the po If you're watching this on YouTube or you want to go to the YouTube thing, go there. You can get the link there. Or you can go to a, a, any of the number of posts that will be up on my Instagram and Twitter at the Mike Welch. Come by. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. It's a great comedy club. It's the best comedy club in, in the world right now. It's the, it's the biggest comedy club in the world. So it's going to be good. It's going to be funny. Please come by. I promise it'll be worth the money. Um, all right. Now, moving on to the sports of the day. We got to start with this. A black cat went on the field and it was the greatest thing for the internet. The internet loves weird shit. It's just just what it is. They love, like, if you know that meme with, like, the Cameron Diaz crying and then the cat being a dick, that's taken the world by storm. I saw jack-o'-lanterns. With that meme carved into it. The internet just loves weird shit. And a black cat on the field. Oh, all the, there's already a meme with that Cameron Diaz and that white cat thing. Making fun of Dak Prescott regarding the black cat that was on the field. Monday Night Football. You got, you got the, the Cowboys and the Giants. Yeah, it matters. We get it. They're two large markets. And the Cowboys have a winning record. So I guess the game itself matters. I don't care that much because F both those teams. But uh, I think everyone else cared about the black cat. Because I haven't seen the internet gravitate to something so quickly since we all decided that Epstein didn't kill himself. Haven't seen it. Gravitated to it fast, man. Everybody's all over the black cat. Memes are running wild. And, and the best part is Kevin Harlan. We need to appreciate Kevin Harlan as a broadcaster. We need to appreciate a guy that will go play-by-play -play with a black cat on the field in such a masterful way. If you haven't seen it, it's literally anywhere on the internet. Masterful play-by-play -by, -play by Kevin Harlan of that black cat running around the field. He even worked in a sponsorship. A little sponsorship shout-out. And now that's been retweeted thousands of times by and, and, and taken and posted on multiple blogs. It's everywhere. He worked it in. The Red Zone the red zone sponsor worked it in. Think about them getting their money's worth. You think they're going to re-up? Yeah, that's what Kevin Harlan does. I was actually, I tweeted this, uh, I think a couple weeks ago. It was when the Lakers were playing the Clippers. The opening night of the NBA, Kevin Harlan was on the call. And I remember thinking, you know, I wish they had the names of the broadcasters at the bottom of the screen every time they came back from commercial. It, just so people could know, like, this is special. This man is special. Kevin Harlan is a special individual. Appreciate him while we have him because he should be protected at all costs. 
I also would like that, it just for a more sinister thing, I think it would be nice for people to know it's Reggie Miller who's saying all the dumb shit. You know, I, I just really, I know I like Reggie in, to, in a way, but Reggie says a lot of dumb shit that makes me like, God, I just, I don't know what he's watching half the time. And sometimes he just misuses terms, misuses phrases. It's, 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 there's a rough watch sometimes. But Kevin Harlan, if you knew he was on the call, you know it's going to be something special, man. So the Black Cat was on the field. Kevin Harlan had a great call of it. Um, and the internet the internet just likes to take things and run. And I love you, internet. I really do. I think you're great. I'm not I'm not mad about it. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, why, why don't you focus on something that matters more? I'm not Twitter. The embodiment of Twitter which I think that's what that is. Twitter is a place where if you say anything that isn't of the utmost social justice importance, then you will be shit on. Yeah. Moving on. Sticking with the NFL, though. Um, I just, I'm sorry. I love the internet. I think I think you go, you go ham on a black cat to the point where everybody's talking about this thing. The memes are plentiful. <laughs> and it's being shared thousands and thousands of times, tens of thousands of times all over the place. That's that's why we're here, you know? That's why it's all about. Not to be the guy on the acid trip, but man, I see it. I see the world for what it really is. Start talking in acid terms. That's like I'm fucking Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> on to the NFL. Uh, other games going on, or other games that happen. Go with the Chiefs. My Kansas City Chiefs spent a few years in Kansas City back in 2012, 2013, and then came back again 2016 through 2018. So I've been there a lot. Also born and raised there. So Chiefs win over the Vikings. The Chiefs are a Super Bowl team, in my mind. Because you go in and have that kind of performance against a really good Vikings team where your your quarterback is Matt Moore. And by the way, Matt Moore looks great. I said that when Matt Moore originally took over because Patrick Mahomes got hurt. I said, uh, I said, who would you rather have, Matt Moore or Joe Flacco? At that moment, it was actually kind of a question. Now it's not even a question. Now it's a dumb question. Obviously, you're going to take Matt Moore. Did you see what he did? Yeah, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's great. He's absolutely great. And I'm so excited to see what he does with this team and how you can wait for Patrick Mahomes to come back. You don't have to rush him back. That's the best thing about Matt Moore. You don't have to take your MVP quarterback and try to shove him back into the game because you need to get wins. Matt Moore can get you wins. Pat Mahomes can get you a Super Bowl. The Chiefs have the best of both worlds right now. And I've seen some of those ridiculous claims that maybe the Chiefs shouldn't give Patrick Mahomes a bunch of money because, hey, maybe it's just Andy Reid. <sighs> Andy Reid can't be here forever. Let's start with that. But either way... Patrick Mahomes makes you a Super Bowl contender every year until he's no longer playing. You wanted a franchise quarterback for so long, you got him. Don't let him go. Cherish it forever. Little Billy Madison, right? Cherish it as long as you can. Patrick Mahomes, you got to pay him. That's, I just want to move on from that. Do you still pay Patrick Mahomes? I can't believe I even saw that thrown out as a question. And... Was it was it Skip Bayless? I think Skip said something. Skip said something stupid. I don't know. Skip says stupid stuff sometimes. I think, look, he's a provocateur. I'm sure, I just butchered the the pronunciation of that word, but he likes to provoke and incite controversy. It's what he likes to do. I don't take anything Skip Bayless says seriously. I think he's purely for entertainment. And by the way, I think Skip Bayless does a phenomenal job. But he says some dumb shit. <laughs> and I saw him say something stupid about like, oh, man, Matt Moore might be 
like in the conversation or something about Patrick Mahomes like potentially losing his job. Patrick Mahomes is not losing his job ever. He'd have to melt down on such an epic proportion. It's just never going to happen. So that's that's kind of a ridiculous thing that was thrown out there. But more on that game and why I think the Chiefs are a legitimate Super Bowl team, Tyreek Hill's back. And Tyreek Hill being back is a huge deal when you see what he brings to the table. He was the difference in that game for the Chiefs. I mean, there were a lot of things. You know, there, there were a number of things. You saw Damian Williams with a great run. He had his best game of the season by a long, by a long stretch. But even during that run, Tyreek Hill ran next to him and outran him. I guess I heard that was uh, it was because Tyreek or Damian Williams had been coming around saying like he was the fastest guy on the team, so Tyreek wanted to make sure like he knew I'm the fastest guy on the team. I'm Tyreek Hill. You're not faster than me. Nobody's faster than me. I think he hit like 22 miles per hour, which is just unfucking real, man. I mean, just unreal. That was nuts. That was like it, for 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 a 92-yard touchdown run by Damian Williams, 91, whatever it was. For that long of a touchdown run by Damian Williams to then with a with a brilliant cutback by the way in the middle that broke the ankles of the safety just beautifully. For that to end up being more about Tyreek Hill's ridiculous speed is just that's what happens when Tyreek Hill's on your team, man. Just what happens. But Tyreek made so many great plays in that game that I'm looking at it like, man, you have to pay Tyreek. Well, they I mean they are paying Tyreek, but I mean like you got to you have to make sure you understand how important he is. Because when he was out early in the season, I remember there were some rumblings that maybe the Chiefs don't need Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs need Tyreek Hill. Again, you don't need certain players to beat bad teams. But in January, when you're playing against the Patriots, you're playing against the Ravens, you're playing against the Colts again or the Texans again, when you're playing all these teams that, I guess, for the most part, they've already played, and when they play the Patriots, they will have already played all of them. But when you're playing these teams again, you're going to need Tyreek Hill because he makes game-changing plays that other guys flat out can't. And that's why you have special talents on your team. That's why Andy Reid doesn't win you games. Andy Reid can put you in position to win games, but the players win you games. Andy Reid can also put you in a position to lose games. That's why it's hard being Andy Reid. He takes a lot of he takes a lot of crap. I think I've called him the dumbest genius in existence. Because he is a genius. The man is an unquestioned football genius. But he gets thrown into a lot of situations where it's like he just he handles them poorly and then the egg's on his face. <sighs> big picture, Andy. Don't worry about the next play call. Focus on the big picture. Oh, and one more thing on the Chiefs. The defense seems to be gelling for the Chiefs. The defense seems to be gelling nicely. I saw some things. They said that they, they did poorly against screen passes. Sir? I don't know if you've watched the Chiefs this year poorly against screen pass. I'm praying that the only thing they're doing bad is screen pass protect, screen pass defending. If the Chiefs are stopping the run, which Dalvin Cook, he had like 20 carries for 70-ish yards, that's a solid day holding down Dalvin, Dalvin Cook. The guy, he's a man. He's tough. It's a tough running back to slow down. And when he's doing well, Kirk Cousins suddenly starts doing well. And that's why the Vikings are as good as they are this season. So when you stop Dalvin Cook or at least contain him, which the Chiefs did yesterday um, or, or Sunday, then you end up being in a situation where you can have those games where you do win based on purely the fact that, yeah, it came down to the last second, but you had a couple guys make the right plays and you put yourselves in position where you didn't have to try to press to win. And that's where the Chiefs came down to. And that's why they won the game. New coordinator, too. It's going to take time for that defense to gel. Halfway through the season, you're starting to see it, right? You're starting to see that defense come together. It's starting to 
hey, we all know each other now. You know, you got eight games under the belts coming to that next game. You, you know, we know what's going on. We feel like, okay, we know what we, we, I know you, you know me. I can have that communication. We understand the defense that Spagnuolo's put in. There's a lot of things for this defense that seem to be going in the right direction. So that is another big reason why, to me, the Chiefs are a Super Bowl team. <laughs> the Patriots lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> What a dick. It's true, though. The Patriots lost. The Ravens took advantage where other teams didn't. On this podcast, we are now on episode five of Drop the Mic. On this podcast, the first four episodes, we've been talking about the undefeated Patriots who are undefeated no more. We've been talking about the undefeated Patriots and what's the one common denominator for every team they've played. One, bad quarterback. Two, teams were given opportunities to make, to capitalize and beat the Patriots and they foiled those opportunities. They get the good field position. They get the fumble recovery or the Patriots would make a mistake. And the other team didn't make them pay. Well, when you're not playing the Giants, and you're playing the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, they make you pay. That's what happened to the New England Patriots. They went up against a team that makes you pay for mistakes. And they went up against a, a defense that could actually make things happen. Earl Thomas. Holy crap. Seahawks fans. Yikes. Pay that guy whatever he wants. Earl Thomas, when Earl Thomas is healthy, it's it's like watching someone who was built to play safety at the highest level ever. I mean, Earl Thomas, I think, has an argument for the best safety of all time. I don't think that's I, I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I really don't. Earl Thomas is so incredible to watch. He changes the game in so many ways. Tom Brady is going to have nightmares about Earl Thomas until the playoffs when he has to see him again, and then he's going to have night terrors about Earl Thomas. That's how much of a dynamic player Earl Thomas is, and the Seahawks should be kicking themselves in the face every single day for letting that guy get away. What a dumb decision. Oh, you see him? He looks like he's 25 again. It's unreal to watch Earl Thomas play football, man. And I'll tell you this. Lamar Jackson, guy can play. Guy can play in every scenario. He's a bit of a running quarterback, but think about the dynamic that brings in. You know, and, and gone are going to be the days of the pocket quarterback. I mean, I get it. Being able to sling the ball anywhere is always going to have its place in the NFL, but I think you're going to have to be able to do both. I mean, see Patrick Mahomes, see Deshaun Watson. You're going to have to be able to run the ball and throw the ball. That's the future of the NFL. Guys like Tom Brady, as amazing as he is, he's the GOAT. Lamar Jackson told him that after the game. As amazing as Tom Brady is... He's his his type is on the way out. And by the way, Brady early in his career had some wheels. I mean, I don't, people forget that Brady had some wheels. He didn't run a lot, but I'm just saying he wasn't like I'm not comparing him to Lamar Jackson. I'm not dumb, but I'm just saying he had mobility. Not as much now, but at one point, Tom Brady had mobility. He's like he's like 67 years old now. So you can't you can't expect somebody who's 67 years old to have mobility. You just can't do it. Just can't. <laughs> Oh, Tom Brady doubts. It's that time of year. I saw, I think it was Max Kellerman of ESPN was like, oh, I'm worried about Tom Brady. Every year, the Patriots lose games to teams they probably shouldn't lose to. Every year, the Patriots beat those teams later in the playoffs. And every year, about this time of the year, when the Patriots finally start to lose, everyone questions whether or not Tom Brady's lost it. Let me be very clear here. Tom Brady hasn't lost it. I'll be dead before Tom Brady loses it, and I've accepted that as my life. That's just the way the world works. Did he sell his soul to Satan? Maybe. 
But Tom Brady's fine. There's no world where Tom Brady's suddenly, oh, now he just can't get it. He just can't do what he used to do. Still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Still finds a way to win. And also his Super Bowl rings, including his most recent one, they all speak for themselves. So that's an absurd take that Tom Brady has anything wrong. Tom Brady's fine. Tom Brady's going to keep sucking the life out of me until the day I'm dead. And that's something I, until he is gone from the league, because I thought he would have been gone three years ago. Honestly, I remember, what was the year they beat the, uh, was it 2015? And they beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl? I think it was, 2015. Yeah. I thought that might have been it for Tom Brady. That's 2015. It's it's almost 2020. <laughs> Certain point, you got to throw your hands up and just understand the guy's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. And by the way, that rematch in the playoffs that I think is absolutely coming between the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots, just like it always happens, the Patriots will win. That's how it always goes, man. These teams beat the Patriots in the regular season, and then boom. They go into the postseason, and it's like they get tape on them. They know what they want to do, and then Belichick finds all the ways to stop them. And then it becomes a, a, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times it becomes a slaughterhouse in the playoffs. It becomes an absolute slaughterhouse where they just crush whatever team happened to beat them back in October or early November. Oh, they they looked, they oh, we, we see a little weakness. Not for long. That's why I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I'm the Kansas City Chiefs on December 8th, yeah, December 8th, I think somewhere around there is when uh, the Chiefs play the Patriots. Forfeit. Forfeit the game. Don't give Bill Belichick anything. In fact, if you just have to go out there with the most vanilla game plan in the world, run the ball left, run the ball right, throw the ball on a generic nine route. If that's your whole game plan, great, because I don't care. It'll be billed as a big game, I'm sure, in some capacity, as long as the Chiefs keep winning. Um, and then there's at least an idea that maybe this could impact playoff seeding and, and impact who gets home field advantage and all that stuff. If that plays out, December 8th will look like a big game. It's not. That's what Belichick wants you to think. He wants you to think it's a big game. He wants you to think it matters. But in reality, he's just going to get as much tape as you can on your game plan, find out what your team does well, and then scheme against it for the next month until you see him in the playoffs and he rips your heart out of your chest. We remember. We remember. Sticking with the NFL here for a little bit, we got a lot of college football, got a lot of Huskers to get to because um, panic mode is set in in Lincoln, Nebraska. Get to the Huskers because I spent three years in Lincoln, Nebraska uh, hosting afternoon sports radio there. Um, let's see. Let's get to a couple more things via the NFL. The Chargers, they suddenly look not terrible against the Packers. I, I can't figure out either one of those teams. The Chargers or the Packers. The Packers are weird, man. What a weird season for Green Bay. And just last week against Kansas City, Aaron Rodgers looked untouchable. He threw the best pass of the season. Without question, the best pass. Falling away into the back corner of the end zone. That's the best pass we've seen all year. One of the best passes I've ever seen. Then he goes against up against the San Diego Chargers, and it just looks lost. That two-point conversion run was sick, though, right? Rodgers put in the two-point conversion. I didn't know he had it in him, man. He was getting in. Couldn't be denied. But other than that, rough game for Green Bay. So, I mean, the Chargers, what are they? What are the Chargers? They have a lot of talent. Undeniably, they have a lot of talent. Phillip Rivers didn't even play that well. 
the Chargers are one of those weird teams where every year they look like they have enough talent to really put it over the top and be really good. And then every year they stumble so badly out of the gate that you think, yeah, there's no way. And it really, and oftentimes, I don't know if it's every year, but oftentimes they finish strong, but they finish just short of making the playoffs. They got to, they gotta do something down there in San Diego. I do not reference them as a Los Angeles team because no one in this city knows they exist. There are Rams fans here. There are Rams fans here. There are Raiders fans here. I don't see any Chargers fans. I see more Chiefs fans in LA than I see Chargers fans. Is that because they're from Kansas City and I seek them out? Maybe. <laughs> All right, one more thing with the NFL. The Browns, they've done it. We've been tracking them for weeks as potentially the most disappointing team of 2019. And I think we can now just go ahead and put that thing to bed. Did you see Baker Mayfield in the post-game press conference? He looked sad. I mean, a guy that for so long has had just swag and confidence for days. That guy, I'd follow him anywhere because he looks like he gets it. I don't care about his youth or maybe the fact that he doesn't have the best arm. No, he's got great leadership capabilities. His intangibles are fantastic. He looks like a guy who really gets it. And then, and that was that was like three months ago, guys. That was like barely three months ago. We thought all these things about Baker Mayfield. And now, Baker Mayfield looks like that husband that's been in the relationship for way too long and had too many kids with this ball buster, and he just wants to go home and go to bed. That's what he looks like. He wants to go home, go to bed, maybe crack a beer before, but he might be too tired. He's been through too much. He just wants to go to bed. So pack it in, Browns. I'm sorry. I feel bad for Browns fans. You know, you got really excited for this year. A lot of upsides to be pumped for. You had a lot of personnel changes. It looked like they had star power across the board. I saw some dumb question thrown out there on one of those stupid shows today. They're not stupid. Well, more power to your to your panel shows. But uh, somebody threw out, is Odell Beckham Jr. to blame for the Browns' woes? <laughs> Yeah, is your wide receiver the problem? The answer is no. Um, 100% of the time when somebody wonders, is the wide receiver, like if you took Odell Beckham Jr. away from the Browns, are they suddenly a playoff contender? I mean, come on, man. At a certain point, you have to just accept the fact that that's just not, no. It's not Odell Beckham Jr. It's the Browns. It's literally everybody. They're the most disappointing team of 2019. And I got to be honest, I don't even think there's a chance that at this point, anyone's going to be able to take their crown. Unless, like, some real contender loses out, which won't happen. Mark the tape? Okay, we'll see if that goes down. (laughs) On to college football. I sometimes like to point out multiple things in college football. Today we're focusing on just the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Scott Frost is not to blame for Nebraska's woes. I understand that it's a long season. I understand that you go through these ups and downs week to week, and then you look at the play calls, you start to dissect these little things here and there, and you forget the fact that the team, talent-wise, isn't very good. And the players, they just aren't there to be able to compete. You know, you lose to Purdue. I mean, it looks like Nebraska's going to go 4-8 and again. They started out looking pretty good, and then hit the skids. And it doesn't look like it's getting better, guys. Not this year. But you have to have faith that Scott Frost, once he gets more players in there, once he gets full recruiting classes in there, Nebraska will be back. 
And I think there's an overwhelming idea, an overwhelming feeling that, and I think it's a real one, I think it's true, that if anybody's going to bring Nebraska back, it will be Scott Frost. So if you move on from Scott Frost, there's a feeling of, well, where do we go now? Not that there are no coaches that could ever fill the position, but I'm saying that's the guy. You bought in. You got to give him everything you can. All the resources in the world have to go to Scott Frost over the next few years so he can try to rebuild this roster, get rid of some of these players that don't want to be there, which it's a thing. A lot of players don't want to be there. Players have talked about how the older guys aren't buying in, which is ridiculous because how do you look at Mike Riley, who looks like he should be coaching peewee football, and then you look at Scott Frost and you're like, yeah, you know what? I like following Mike Riley, but Scott Frost, I don't know about this guy. Very strange to me, but the fact is it's happening. Kids have a mind of their own. They have decision-making skills of their own. Whether it be good or bad is not my decision. It's not for me to say. But they're not buying into Scott Frost's program. And if you're not buying into the program, then it's like, why are you here? Well, you're here because you're on scholarship. And I feel like there's a lot of guys, especially at college level, that love being a football player more than playing football. I want to say that again because I don't think, I don't think for people who people people need to hear it again. It's a good line. There are a lot of guys who like being a football player more than playing football. I believe Nebraska has a lot of those guys. They tend to be upperclassmen, and I'm pretty certain it's going to be nice when they're gone. Not all of them, obviously. Some guys are buying in. Some guys are doing well. But once you get a couple more Scott Frost recruiting classes in there, you get some of the Mike Riley guys out, it's going to look a lot better. I promise you. And if Scott Frost goes 4-8 next year, he goes 4-8 and eight next year. You have to keep a big picture perspective here. And I know this this, this happens where we get, we get into the week-to-week grind. And it's hard for fans. It is. It's really hard as a fan to watch the week-to-week grind. But you have to try to keep that big picture perspective where it's like, okay, we can't just blame shift. We knew this would take time. And even though all the preseason hype was coming through, and we knew, I think, in the back of all of our minds, that the preseason hype was premature. Not that it couldn't come to fruition, but they hadn't necessarily earned that hype. Okay, you can't shift the blame now. You knew the players weren't there. The players weren't there a year ago. Adrian Martinez, they got tape on him now. That's what happens. You get a full year of tape on a guy, you learn how to stop him, then he has to adjust. He's become a tape victim. This happens. And also, the thing that sucks, we get so caught up in things like play calling. Like, oh, he didn't call this play right. Play calling is such an inflated thing by fans and media, and I am very guilty of it. I'm not lying. I've, I've, I've definitely dissected play calling way too harshly in certain moments. And it's because it's something that you, when you're in the grind to grind or the week to week grind of the season, when you're in that week to week grind of the season, you look at play calling and you're like, okay, that was wrong. That was right. And I think we obsess over it sometimes. But the fact of the matter is Ohio State dominates teams because of their players. No one gives a damn what Ohio State calls as a play. They're Ohio State. Their team's just better than yours. They're going to put 50 points up on you because they can, because they're that much better than you at a talent level. And that's where, if you're Nebraska, that's what you're trying to get to. So if you're telling me the talent's good enough, you're wrong. Because if the talent was good enough, Nebraska would be winning games. Because if the talent, I don't care if the play calling is the, I don't care if Scott Frost, if Scott Frost called the worst play in the history of time, I don't care. You're playing Purdue. 
When you're playing teams like Purdue, you should expect to win those games no matter what play is called. The fact of the matter is, Nebraska just doesn't have the talent right now. They will down the road because you have Scott Frost and you have a lot of resources that are going to be at his disposal. But you have to have not just a level of patience, but you have to have a level of understanding that Adrian Martinez is a tape victim. He'll get better as he's able to adjust. Team's got tape on him. That happens. These players, not all of them are buying in because they remember the old coach. This all happens in college football, and it's why turnover oftentimes takes a long time. But I will say this. Scott Frost has to get him to buy in. It's part of his job. So that's what I will put on Scott Frost. You got to give him to buy in. I know sometimes you can't get through to kids and that sucks, but they pay you the big bucks, brother. And when they pay you the big bucks, you got to get through. And by the way, it doesn't get easier for Nebraska. I'm looking at their 2020 schedule right now. It starts out pretty easy. You, know, you got Purdue, a couple you know teams you're going to beat easily, Northwestern, Illinois, Rutgers. But starting Halloween 2020, the final five games for Nebraska reads as this. At Ohio State, at home against Penn State, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and at home against Minnesota. Yikes. It's going to be a tough road. Because you have to readjust this entire team's mindset. you got to get to a Big Ten mindset. And this team went into a Pac-12 mindset under Mike Riley. So you have to try to adjust it to a Big Ten mindset. And I don't think they've quite done it yet. And that's going to also fall on Scott Frost. But for right now, we knew the talent probably wasn't going to be there. And it was a little premature for Nebraska to be as as hyped as they were before the year. So I don't know that you can be that mad at Scott Frost. All right, on to Major League Baseball World Series. Game 7 celebrations. The Nationals win it. And you know what? Game 7 celebrations for World Series and baseball, they're the best. They're the best of all in sports. And I'm not a huge baseball nerd. I'm not big into talking a ton of baseball on this show. As we know, I thought that this World Series was terrible as far as I didn't like the teams in it. I would have liked the Nationals and the Yankees. Would have created a great storyline. Still believe that. But when the Nationals won, you saw the celebration. You saw how much it meant to them. And I think it means more to guys in baseball because they have 162 games together. Right? You have 162 games competing with these guys every day in the course of one season. That's a lot of time and a lot of intense time. Right, It's not just practice. It's games. It's a lot of intense, high-emotion time to spend with another group of people. So obviously, over that time, you're going to become very close. And clearly, in baseball, those Game 7 celebrations, they're the best celebrations because they've gone through so much to get there. 162-game regular season. You had to go through the postseason. You had to go through... Well, you know, a best of five series and a best of seven series. Then you get to the World Series. Finally, you're at the biggest stage. You're where you've worked all year to get to. You've gone through roughly, what, at least at least like 175 games, right? Ish, somewhere around that. I'm not good at math. That's not, it's not 175. It's not even close. It's at least, I think, like what, 167? It's a lot of games. <laughs> Play to your strengths, Michael. <laughs> It's a lot of games. So I think that creates a bond. And Max Scherzer, that was a cool moment to see Max Scherzer win. I mean, a guy is, who's been as dominant as he has and it never quite grabbed that ring. It's good to see somebody like that do it. And it's good to see a guy who's that awesome and that good, you know, and, and seems like such a good dude. I've never met Max, but he seems like a really good dude. And to see somebody like that come through, it does warm your heart a lot. And also Bryce Harper. Let's talk about this real quick. I stand with Bryce Harper. I might be the only person on the internet standing with Bryce Harper, but I feel like when you win a World Series, you shouldn't make it about the guy who's not there. 
But the internet decided we're going to make it all about the guy who's not there. I mean, people I'm sure in Philadelphia media were like, oh, damn. We got the guy who's going to be the punchline for this thing. And even people in D.C. were probably way too focused on Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper had nothing to do with this World Series. It's not like he was intoxicating the team. Like, oh, this, this guy's intoxifying everything. We can't have him here. He has nothing to do with this World Series. Just enjoy your World Series. I don't know why we got to crack back on Bryce Harper. Like, he's the reason why D.C. wasn't winning. Hell out of here, man. Oh, still would have been better against the Yankees, though. I'll die on that hill. The Yankees were in that series. Nationals beat the Yankees. David versus Goliath. I will die on that hill. It still would have been better. All right. Real quickly before we wrap things up here on Drop the Mic. NBA, we need LeBron back in Cleveland with Kyrie to create some more drama, man. Because right now, the season's just been fun to watch basketball. There's not a lot of intense drama going on in the NBA. I mean, Steph Curry went down. That was dramatic for sure. But I mean, like... I, I miss the days where Kevin Love would the scapegoat for everything that's ever gone wrong in LeBron James's life. That's the NBA that I miss. I like the drama of the NBA. I enjoy that. Um, <laughs> I want Kyrie Irving getting prickly with the media. Just, hmm, angry as hell. That's what I like about the NBA. I like when guys are that 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 way where they get really prickly with everything, and they and, and, and you know we have we have these explosions. I want more Russell Westbrook James Harden drama. Is that too much to ask? Somebody throw a pie. You know? Joel Embiid, save us. The NBA needs Joel Embiid so badly, right? I mean, think about the personality. He plays for the Sixers, who have been obviously dominant, the best team in the NBA so far through the first week at least. I mean, it, it, I love Joel Embiid. It's not just because he went to my alma mater, KU. He was there for a year and didn't even play in the tournament. So, you know, who cares? But... He's just fun. He's the most fun guy. You know what I mean? He makes the game more entertaining. If I could have 10 more Joel Embiid's in the NBA, I would take him in a heartbeat. That's what's going on in the NBA. Just a lot of really good basketball, honestly. Steve Kerr needs to incite an international riot. Just to get, just to spice it up. Just to spice things up, you know? <laughs> All right, let's wrap things up here on episode Five of Drop the Mic. I'm Mike Wells. Thank you so much for joining me and have a great night.